Thank you, brother. Brothers and sisters, I bring you greetings from the saints at Grace Baptist Chapel, and uh, we are so thankful for our shared work in this region of the globe for Christ and for his kingdom. Let me just say, since I have opportunity to do so, that I do think a lot of your pastor. And I know you may hear a lot of people say that, but I actually really deeply think a lot of your pastor. And one of the things that's a blessing for me is that I don't just get to see the labors of uh, Christ's work here through him and through the other elders, but your pastor is a brother that I've benefited from as I've watched him suffer. So what a blessing that Christ brings people into our lives. We obviously are praying for him today. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Romans. If you do not, some of this passage may sound familiar to you, but Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Let me read to you now the Word of the living God. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together... In the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the living God. Would you pray with me? Now, O Lord, we pray that you may grant us by your spirit the strength that we need to understand the length and height and breadth, depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus, that the preaching of the word of Christ this very day would be the voice of Christ to his sheep, that you would cause us to see and savor the glorious gospel of the Son of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, death is not usually good news, is it? We typically don't get the news that someone has died and rejoice. Hopefully not anyway. 
Uh, not that we aren't happy or rejoicing if it's a believer that has gone to be with Christ, but we typically don't rejoice when we hear the news that someone is dead and say to ourselves, I'm glad that they are dead. Similarly, if someone were to walk up to you and say, you're a dead man, we wouldn't think to ourselves, that's good news. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that they said that right to my face. You're a dead man, <laughs> would we? Because death, even though we in Christ have the hope of the glory of heaven, death is not the way that it ought to be. And we don't take joy in death. And yet, Paul would have us to see in our text this morning in Romans chapter 6 that, that our death is actually really good news. And that Paul can say to us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are a dead man, you are a dead woman, and say to ourselves, this is really, really good news. That's essentially what's happening in this passage. This sermon this morning could be titled many things. Perhaps we could call it the doxology of death. Praising God in the midst of the announcement of death. If you read through this passage, you will notice that there are two deaths that are mentioned. The death of Christ and the death of the believer, the one who has faith in Christ. But how did we get here? We're diving in this morning in Romans chapter 6. It's very likely that in this week prior, you haven't been reading the first five chapters of Romans. Maybe you have, but how did we get to Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where the scripture of God says, what shall we say then? Well, let me just catch us up together. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Or, what are we to do about these things? Romans is a book where Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives a great theological discourse on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He essentially says in chapter 1 that all the world has sinned. That we have all come under the wrath of God and that the world has fallen, has slumped low into sin and death. And then in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that it is right for God to judge sin. That all sin, the breaking of God's law, the failure to live up to the commands of God, all sin deserves death. It must be punished. But then in Romans chapter 3, we read those wonderful words. Just following that statement in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that says, There is no one righteous, not a one of us. No one righteous. Then Paul says, But there is a righteousness from God, apart from the law, apart from keeping the commandments of God, which we cannot do now as sinners. That righteousness comes through faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul takes us to the Bible, to the Old Testament, where he essentially says, let me give you an example. He says, essentially, salvation has always been by faith in Christ. And he uses Abraham from the book of Genesis. Boys and girls that are still with us in this room, Abraham lived a long time before Paul. And yet... He's used as an example of someone who trusted 
in God's promise to save. So in chapter 5 of Romans, Paul can say words, words which ought to call us to rejoice. He says, therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, the word there is justified, having been seen in God's sight as righteous because you are in Jesus, believer, you have peace with God. Chapter 1 said we have nothing, no peace with God. By the time we get to chapter 5, we have peace with God, and it's because of Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, two names are mentioned at the end of chapter 5. Adam, do you remember Adam? (laughs) Our first father, Adam and Christ. Really, you could say that if you wanted to summarize the Bible listing two people, it could be Adam and Jesus. The Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. That all of us are born in Adam. Maybe you walked in this morning, someone invited you to church, and you don't know much about Christianity. Maybe your thought is, well, these are Christian people, so they're interested in keeping the rules and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Yeah, I'll go sing and hear them read scripture and see what all the hubbub is about. I want to make crystal clear that you know, friend, that the message of Christianity is not that we keep all the rules. The message of Christianity is that none of us do, that we were born in Adam as sinners because Adam fell and he plunged all of humanity into sin. And so we do what our fathers before us did. We sin. We break God's law. We don't worship God as we ought to. And the things that he tells us not to do, those are the very things we run to. And we're born in Adam. But the message of Christianity, the message of the scriptures is that there is a second Adam. And that we can be transferred from our father Adam, the one who plunged all of humanity into sin, Under Christ, we can be transferred by faith. And this is really good news. And now, our record is seen not as one who's broken God's law, but as one who is clothed in Christ's perfect law-keeping and his death on our behalf. That's a lot, isn't it? But that's what's happened before we get to our passage. Because in chapter 6, verse 1, what does Paul say? What shall we say then? So he's going to make application for us, isn't he? What shall we say then to these things? Interestingly enough, in the book of Romans, Paul uses similar phrases many times. Ten times in the book of Romans, he'll say, certainly not. He'll ask a question, and then he'll say, the answer is no, definitely no, certainly not. Thirteen times, he'll ask questions like this, do you know? Or do you not know? So Paul's writing to Rome. The Holy Spirit is writing to us, reminding us of certain truths. Do you not know? That happens in our passage. Now in our section in Romans chapter 6, there really are two groups. Verses 1 through 14 and verses 15 to 23. And at the end of each of those two sections, so verse 14 and verse 23, there's just a statement that's really good news. Look at verse 14, the end of our text. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. I want us to look at this section that ends with such good news like this. There are perhaps many things we could say, but I want us to look at three simple things this morning from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Your death, Christian, is celebrated in this passage. But not your physical death. The fact that when Christ died, you died. So let's look and see three simple truths this morning. The first that we'll see in verses 1 through 3 is that we are united with Christ in his death. Now what does that mean? United with Christ in his death. I mean, I was born in 19 such and such, and you were born in whenever you were born, and, and Christ died some 2,000 years ago. How is it that when he died, we died? How are we united with Christ in his death? That's what the text says, though. Look at verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, plunged into Christ's death, were baptized into his death? When he died, you died. Now, this passage of Scripture moves from Paul celebrating the fact that we are declared righteous because of Jesus' record, justification, to talking about sin's reign. In these 14 verses, the phrases united with Christ, in Christ, are used nearly 10 times, just in our text. The message is over and over and over. You are connected. You are united. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are united with Christ. Where he has gone, you have gone. And where he goes, you go. But This is by faith. By faith alone. So let's look and see how we're united with Christ in his death. Chapter 6, verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Yes, Christian, Jesus died for your sins. He died to pay the penalty that is deserving. Every sin, as the scripture says, earns death. Isn't that what God told Adam and Eve in the garden? In the day that you sin, by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what shall happen to you? You shall die. The wages of sin is death. Yes, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and guilt. But in our text, Jesus' death here is pictured as a death to sin. Not primarily a death for sin. What does that mean? He certainly did die for sin. But in our text, in our passage, it's pictured as Jesus dying to sin. Later on in this chapter... Paul will use the imagery of slavery and freedom to, to round out this focus. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Devoted to God, which I highly recommend to any and all, says this, quote, Christ came under sin's dominion in order to destroy its reign. 
Yes, we are no longer under the guilt of our sins because he died for them and rose for our justification, but we are also no longer under the bondage of sin because he died to it and rose again for our liberation, end quote. When Paul says that Jesus didn't just die for sins, but he died to sins, he means Jesus took our flesh under Adam and took it all the way to the grave. Jesus, the spotless one, the sinless one, took our humanity upon himself. And he lived a perfect life, never tainted by sin, and he died a perfect death. So Jesus took the reign of sin to the grave. When he died, you died. Charles Hodge, in his great theological works, says this, the grand design of Christianity is the destruction of sin. Friend, the moment that you came to Christ, by faith you were united to him. And his death for sin and to sin is now yours. Not only is your sin and guilt paid for, but the reign of sin that you and I have lived under has been broken. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns over us. Now this is really good news. Because Think about this. I don't know about you, but even in just the past week, haven't you sensed sometimes in your life that sin just seems to always be there? You're wrestling with it. You want to put it to death. And then sometimes you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I wish I hated sin more than I do. And as difficult as your wrestling is with sin, Christian, it's only remaining. It doesn't reign over you. Because you have been plunged into the death of Christ and he took the reign of sin to the grave. You are united with Christ in his death. But secondly, our text would teach us that you and I are united with Christ in his life. Not only was his death for sin and to sin yours, but... You are united with Christ in his life. Picking up in verse 4, he says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You're united with Christ in his life. Let's walk through this passage together. Verse 4. The source of our holiness is union with Christ. And a person cannot have the life of Christ without the death of Christ. Christ died for our sins and to our sins, and now we are raised with him. If you'll allow me to say it this way, your cemetery plot is the one ultimately that Christ was raised from. Christ was raised from the grave. And spiritually, you are now raised from spiritual death. Yes, there's going to come a day, Christian, when Christ will return. And if that happens many centuries from now, you and I will be in the grave physically. But spiritually, 
when Christ was raised, when we've been united to him by faith, we were raised. You have spiritual life. You have a spiritual life in Christ. Verse 5 continues, For if we have been united together, there it is again, united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Christ's physical, literal resurrection is connected with our spiritual resurrection. Do you ever feel spiritually dead? You ever look around on Sunday mornings and see people singing the praises of the living God and you say to yourself, I just feel dead. I don't feel what it seems like everyone else feels. Praise the living God. Our faith doesn't rest in our feelings. You are spiritually alive. If you are in Christ, you have spiritual life. And it's because he was raised. Continuing in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Maybe up to this point you thought, where is this preacher going? When he died, we died. That's what the text says. (laughs) You were crucified with him. Your old man, your old nature, crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. The entirety of who you were as a sinner was crucified when Christ died. Just to make sure that we're all tracking with this idea. All of your evil deeds, your evil thoughts, the way that you manipulate people, the pride, the desire for praise, perhaps the past life of sexual immorality, murderous thoughts, your regular impatience with all of those around you, and on and on it goes. That was crucified with Christ. This is really good news. Our old man was crucified with him. But then look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. He who has died, died with Christ, has been freed from sin. Most of our translations say it like that. We've been freed from sin. But the actual Greek word underlying that is the word justified. What does that mean? That he who has died has been justified from sin. Well, it means that sin has no more claims over you. Think on this, beloved. Sin has no more claims over you. Sin is no longer your master. It doesn't reign over you. Sin no longer rules your daily schedule. We are free from the reign of sin. It cannot be said of you that sin reigns over you, Christian. We're not free from it being there yet. Don't we wish sometimes certain days when we're walking with Christ, we're reading his word, we're praying, we think to ourselves, I I can't wait for the day when I'm completely free from sin. We're not there yet, but we are free from the reign of sin. Verse 8 continues, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Yes, we'll live with him one day in heaven face to face. 
but we live with him now. We have spiritual life. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus stands among his churches. He is with us. What did he say to the apostles before his ascension? He said to them, for all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. He gives them a command. Go, baptize, preach, disciple the nations. And lo, I am with you always. We live with Christ now, spiritually. So Paul is at pains for us to understand, for the church at Rome, and for Deer Park Fellowship to understand that we are united with Christ in his death, and we're united with Christ in his life. But I can't help but think this morning that maybe again, you're here, and you think, well, this preacher seems excited about being united with Christ. What does all this mean? That God, quite a long time ago, created all things perfect and holy and good. And that the pinnacle of his creation, human beings, he made to display his glory. And in love, he gave them all things. He said, you need to obey me. I am life. Follow in my ways and you will have life. But they chose to go the route of disobedience and sin And this plunged not just them, but all of humanity into sin. So every new baby that is born is not born innocent. I mean, I know we think about babies that way. Oh, cuddly, innocent, free from all the things of the world. But they're sinners like you and me and like our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be. But in his mercy and grace, God, even right after the fall of man and woman into sin, gave the precious promise There's going to come a redeemer. So the Bible really could be read through this way. From Genesis all the way to the very end, it's the story of this promised one who is to come. Christ, who would come and live a perfect life. We need someone to live a perfect life because we have to have a perfect life in order to stand in the presence of God. And not only did he live a perfect life, he died And as he died on the cross, for hour after hour of torment, the wrath of God was poured out on him. And let me just make this crystal clear. The wrath of God for sexual sins, for lusts, for pride, for lying, for murder, for manipulation, for abuse, for impatience, for gluttony, for failure to love others the way that we ought to love others. The wrath of God for these things was poured out on Christ. And he suffered in the place of the sinners who would trust in him down through the ages. So friend, you need to know that the message of Christianity is that God looks at you and says, I offer Christ. He will be your perfect substitute. Will you trust in him? Will you receive him, not only as your perfect law keeper, but as the final sacrifice for all of your sins? And as you trust him, you're united to him. His record is yours. And your record, and this is really good news, your record has become his. And he's dealt with it. You're united with him in his death. You're united with him now in his life. And finally... Paul gives us application, doesn't he? You're united with Christ for a purpose. 
Thirdly, you're united with Christ for a purpose. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does the word reckon mean? Sounds like a southern word, doesn't it? Sounds like a Joey word. (laughs) I reckon. (laughs) He really does speak that way. But so does the Apostle Paul. Reckon. Consider yourself. What, 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 What should I consider to be true about me? Consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Daily, we need to be thinking of ourselves. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to consider the truths of verses 1 through 10 to be true about us. He's telling us a way to live here. We need to remember and preach to ourselves what is true about us. That when Christ died, we died. When Christ was raised, we were raised. Part of the purpose of our union with Christ is that we can regularly consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. But secondly, look at verse 13. Do not present your members, your bodies, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. We're to present ourselves to God. Have you thought about that? I know that the text says, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Meaning, Christian, don't sin. It's okay to say that, by the way. There's no conflict between the grace of God and Christians being told, hey, fight sin. But notice the second part. Do not present your members, your bodies, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present them to God. As being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness. You say to yourself every day, when tempted from outside, whether that's Satan, whether that's other human beings, or whether you're tempted from the inside, you know, we still wrestle with sinful nature, don't we? You say, I I can't do this sin because, because my mouth, I can't say this because my mouth belongs to God. I've been bought with a price. Sin doesn't own my mouth anymore. Christ Jesus does. I can't do this with my hands. I can't do this with my mind because I belong to to God. Regularly fighting sin by doing what? Reminding myself of who owns me. But let me just say one quick word to those of you who think that you are overwhelmed by sins, either present or past. If you are in Christ, the greatest claim over your life is the shed blood of Christ. That speaks the loudest word. Your past record means nothing. It means nothing in the throne room of heaven because Christ stands and you are united to him. So don't for a moment allow the enemy to convince you that sin still reigns over you. Either continually saying sin reigns over you, give into it, or convincing you that somehow the voice of sin on the day of judgment will be louder than the voice of Christ. Don't for one moment forget who you are 
we're to reckon certain things to be true about us, and we're to present our bodies every day to God as being washed in Christ and as belonging to Him. But then we get to that statement in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Have you walked with Christ long enough to to come to see things in the word that you hadn't seen before? I know I have. For years, I read that verse as another command. Hey, don't, don't give in to sin. But I would submit to you that Romans 6.14 is not a command. But it's what we would call a benediction. Do you know what a benediction is? A benediction is all of the places in the word where usually through one of the Old Testament priests or now in the New Covenant, through one of the ministers of Christ, God says, because you are mine, this is a blessing. This is true about you. Think about that most famous Old Testament benediction in the book of Numbers, right? That that idea that God would make his face to shine upon us. Well, this is a benediction. Yes, we've been told not to sin, but there's good news here in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This is God saying to you through the scriptures, there's a blessing on your head. Sin will not have dominion over you. Sin will not have dominion over you. It's as if the living God comes to you and says, sin's not going to reign, my child. And notice why. For you're not under law, but under grace. This doesn't mean that, they, that we as Christians no longer have to think about God's law and, and, and avoid sin. Now, in the context, this is saying, you are no longer under the law as a lawbreaker. You're you're no longer under the law as a covenant. You're no longer placed there as if the law has claims over you. Think about it this way. The law slew Jesus, and therefore it will never slay you. What does the law say? Obey and live. What does grace say? Christ obeyed, now go live. So there's a doxology here, a celebration of death, your death. When Christ died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised. And it is so that you can live your life even now with the hope of heaven to come. And even now, every day saying to yourself, sin doesn't reign over me. I don't have to listen to temptation. It doesn't reign over me. My God has said, He's promised in his word, sin will not have dominion over me. So this day, I will live with this truth. And at the end of it, I will lay my head down on the pillow. And tomorrow, we'll do it again. And I'll say to myself, sin, you don't have claims over me. Christ does. And I'll lay my head down on the pillow. And you get the idea day after day after day. And then one day, Christ will call for you. Either he will return and call all of his people, or he will call for you. 
And you will see the glorious face of the Son of God who laid down his life for you so that in your life now you can say, he owns me, he rules over me, not sin. In this case, Paul saying to you and me, you're a dead man, is really good news. It's really good news. Let's pray. Living God, we thank you for the glorious hope of the gospel. We thank you that Christ's death is our death if we are in him by faith. His life is our life and that this union we have with him is for a purpose. Help us to love and savor this truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.